You're listening to Comedy Central. Someone asked me if I was going to the actual Super Bowl, and I said never. Again, more specifically, I said never again. Because here's the thing, I've been to one Super Bowl, and I, I don't understand how anybody watches this, like, football live. There's no, so when you go watch football live, it's just a bunch of people and there's a ball, and then you don't, like, know what's happening. And also, there's the, you forget that the, the guy is not talking. So, you know, like, when you watch football, my introduction to football is everyone telling me things. Well, here he is, Demarcus Brown. Grew up in uh, this town. His mom is a great fan of this and that. And then the, now there's nothing. Now you're just standing there, and it's just like people like, yeah! Yeah! Tell me about his family. Yeah! And then something happens on the field. I can't see what's happened on the field, because sometimes it happens on the other side of the field. And then you just wait for, like, the ref to come and then gossip. Yeah, the guy, the guy, he touched the ball when he wasn't supposed to. Stop snitching. <laughs> I want to see the thing myself. At ho- the lines. You know how much more fun it is to watch the game when you know how far the thing... It actually made me realize how hard football actually is. Because when I watch football on TV, I go, you idiot, the line was here. You saw the line. Then you ran. Then the line was just... If you ran that way, the line was there. Then when you go watch football live, you're like, there's no line. How does this guy know how far he's supposed to go? There's no line. In fact, I think most, most sports, they make it look easier when you're sitting at home. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, no. Sorry I talked shit from home, LeBron. <laughs> yeah, from home, it was very simple. Because I saw where the, the opening was. You should have shot from there. On the court, you can't see anything. These guys are like seven feet tall in real life. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, the tremendous document flush. Canada's not so nice. And Quest Love. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. Our first story takes place in school. Yeah, remember school? The place where you go to learn things like math or science, or most importantly, how to draw that cool S. But in Florida, the state whose official dress code is strip club casual, lawmakers have decided that there's some subjects that shouldn't be learned in school. A controversial bill that would ban school districts in Florida from encouraging classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity is advancing. A Florida Senate committee just passed the so-called Don't Say Gay bill. Opponents warn it would lead to further stigmatization of gay, lesbian, and transgender children. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has indicated support for the bill. The Republican says it's not appropriate for teachers to have conversations with students about sexual orientation or gender identity. Yeah, I agree with Ron DeSantis, right? Kids shouldn't learn that people can be straight or gay in school. We shouldn't teach them that. We should just let them get surprised when they turn 18. What? Two men can do what? Are you... Oh, that's what little Nas X was singing about. I thought he just liked prison. Now, on the one hand, this is terrible because many kids can't talk about gay issues at home. So school could be the one place where they can learn. I mean, I guess on the other hand, this don't say gay law is gonna have some upsides. I mean, it's gonna make it a lot harder for bullies in school. Yeah, because they'll be in the hallway like, you're gay! And then Ron DeSantis is just gonna burst out of a locker like, no, don't say that! You make fun of his haircut. Look at it, looks like he fought a lawnmower. Come on. You know, if you ask me the real issue here is that these people are worried that their kids are gonna learn about being gay 
and then all of a sudden get converted to gay. That's what the fight is about. Don't teach my kids about gay in school because they're gonna become gay. That's ridiculous. Learning about the thing doesn't magically turn you into the thing. I mean, in school, when I learned about the French, it's not like I came home that day like, Mama, I have something to tell you. Ah, I knew all along, my child. Anyway, let's move on. There's a big story that's coming out of the art world right now. Uh, And if you're one of those people who's like, I don't understand modern art. Well, first of all, congratulations on being basic. And second, maybe you should stop complaining and do something about it, like this guy did. A security guard was fired from the job at a Russian museum after drawing eyes on a million dollar painting. I want you guys to look closely at this. The three figures painting had a blank space on the faces. You could see the version on the left, but reports say the security guard got bored, decided to grab a pen and just draw a pair of eyes in two of the three figures. Hold on, hold on. This, This guy defaced a classic painting because he was bored? Like, in a museum, you were bored and so you drew... Like, have you not heard of TikTok? And I know a lot of you basic bitches out there right now are looking at the eyes on this painting. You're saying, that actually does look better. But that's not the point. Art is not about what looks better. Art is about confusing people with a thing that allows you to feel like you are better than them. I... And how do we know that this thing wasn't just a publicity stunt from the museum? Because I don't know about you, but I've never heard of this faceless painting in my life. Now I'm seeing it everywhere. You know, this could just be like a trick. Maybe this is what all museums do just to get hype. Did somebody steal the Mona Lisa's eyebrows? Come see for yourself. And finally, let's move on from one piece of work to another. Donald Johnson & Johnson baby powder Trump. The ex-president most likely to be a surprise judge at a wet t-shirt contest. Yesterday, the government office that keeps presidential records asked the Justice Department to investigate Trump's improper handling of official documents. And like, At this point, I'm wondering if there are any laws that Trump hasn't broken, you know? Like, if if there was a Guinness Book of World Records for crime, he'd probably steal the book. But yeah, according to reports, Trump would rip up papers after he read them, right? He took boxes of material with him to Mar-a-Lago, and now we're learning that Trump did the most Trump thing that he possibly could have done with some of these documents. We're beginning with breaking news. Staff members at the White House residence discovered wads of printed paper in a clogged toilet on more than one occasion during the Trump administration and believe that it was the former president himself who was trying to flush documents. I learned that staff in the White House residence would periodically find the the toilet clogged. The engineer would have to come and and fix it. And what the engineer would find would be wads of, you know, clumped up wet printed paper, um, you know, meaning it was not toilet paper. It could be post-its, it could be notes he wrote to himself, it could be other things we don't know, but it certainly does add, as you said, another dimension to what we know about how he handled material in the White House. You know, it's so funny how in every scandal involving Trump and documents, none of them involve him reading them. And, 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 and by the way, I will say this. I know it's easy for us to all go, Trump was trying to obstruct justice. That's what this was. But you do remember at the start of the pandemic, there was a shortage of what? And I don't know about you guys, but when there's no toilet paper, state documents start to look mighty tempting. It also does explain why Trump was always complaining about toilets. You you remember how he always did that? People are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once. They end up using more water. Yeah, they're flushing it 10 times, 15 times. No, dude. 
you were flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, because you were shoving your homework down the toilet. I mean, everyone assumed he was a man who clogged the White House toilets, but no one ever thought we'd have to ask the question, but with what? Now, of course, Trump denies all of this. He says he never clogged any toilets ever. Smoothest poo of all time. So the big question is, who's telling the truth? Well, luckily, we have an exclusive interview with the only man who knows what the truth is. So we're gonna go out live right now to the White House to chat to that man. Sir, I understand that you are the official White House plumber. That's right, it's me, Carl Schwartz. I know. Uh, well, doing well. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Schwartz. Uh-huh. Um, as the White House plumber, we'd love for you to tell us everything you know about Trump flushing documents down the toilets. All right, let me stop you right there, Chief, okay? Sorry to disappoint you, but I can't. It's the plumber's code. The plumber's code? That's right. It's the iron code all plumbers live by. One, never tell a toilet secrets. Two, always round up the bill. Three, no visible butt crack. I'm trying to break that stereotype. So I'm sorry, but I can't reveal what I know about Trump's toilet no matter what. Oh, come on. All right, fine, I'll tell you. I was in Trump's bathroom almost every day pulling paper out of the toilet. I unclogged so many classified documents they had to give me top secret clearance. I'm talking CIA briefings, diplomatic cables, the medical experiments that created Rudy Giuliani. Honestly, some of the stuff I didn't understand what it meant. Like, I found this one document that just says nuke Spain, question mark. Oh, wow. Yeah. You must have been pretty frustrated with President Trump giving you so much unnecessary work. Are you kidding me? I love President Trump. He made my job more interesting and he trusted me with our nation's top secrets. Unlike certain other presidents who just use the toilet to poop or pee. Obama. I don't know why you said it like that. You could have, we knew who the, anyway. um, Let me ask you this, was Trump the only one in the White House who was flushing documents? Uh, Did Vice President Pence do it? No, 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 Mike Pence never even used the bathroom. He actually doesn't have any holes. Now, if you excuse me, I have an emergency I have to deal with. Kamala Harris been locked in the bathroom for the past year. Oh, wow, is that where she's been? Well, well, good luck with that, and thank you so much, Mr. Schwartz. You got it, Chief. Did he say no holes? Give me $6,000. All right, that wasn't very helpful. So let's move on to the big news that's coming out of Canada. America's quiet upstairs neighbor, or at least they used to be. Because as you may have heard, there is a major anti-vaccine protest taking place in Canada's capital city of Ottawa right now. Now, anti-vaccine protests are pretty common these days, right? But these protesters are different because they're truck drivers, which means they have trucks. And people with trucks have more power than any other people. They just do. This is like a fact of trucks. Think about it. In every heist movie ever, what do they need to pull off the heist? A truck. Yeah. When a Batman villain tries to shut down the city, they need a truck. Having trucks just gives you the ability to outmuscle people who don't have trucks. And so even though 90% of Canadian truckers are vaxxed, this small minority is still able to cause big problems. They've essentially shut down downtown Ottawa for two weeks now. And if you want to know why these truckers are so fired up, well, they're more than happy to tell you. What is the stuff that you can't do right now as, as a non-vaccinated person? I live in Quebec, so it's a bit more intense than other places in Canada. But look, I can't go skiing. I can't go to Walmart. I can't go to Canadian Tire. I can't go to Home Depot. I can't go to restaurants. I can't go to bars. I can't go to the gym. And because you're not vaccinated, have you... Is there business? Is there stuff you can't do in Canada now? Yeah, I, I'm, like, I'm like... Well, basically, if you want to compare Canada uh, to anything, it's like uh, Hitler's Germany 
And we're like the Jews, eh? You see, this is why we shouldn't be banning books. Because now this guy thinks that the Holocaust is when you can't take a shit in a Tim Hortons. I mean, even Marjorie Taylor Greene is looking at this guy like, dude, this isn't anything like the Holocaust. There's no soup here at all. It's actually wild when you think about it, like how many different ways people disrespect Holocaust survivors because some people are like, what happened to you didn't happen. And then some people are like, no, what happened to you did happen. And it's happening again to me right now because I can't go skiing, team. But anyway, the point is these truckers and their supporters feel persecuted. And when this started, it was just a protest against vaccine requirements for truckers. But it's now grown into a wider movement against all coronavirus restrictions. They want vaccine mandates gone. They want mask mandates gone. They wanna be free to sneeze into strangers' mouths again, like the good old days. But blocking traffic in downtown Ottawa hasn't done the trick. So now they've decided to take things up a notch. A crucial trade link between Canada and the United States was disrupted by protesters for a third day in a row. The Ambassador Bridge is the busiest international crossing in North America, linking Windsor, Ontario to Detroit, while another border crossing in Ontario is experiencing an hours-long delay. The Ambassador Bridge sees about one quarter of all the goods that go between the two countries every day. On a normal day, that's about $340 million worth of goods rolling through, and the impact is already being felt. Ontario auto plants, including Ford and Stellantis, reduced production over the last 24 hours due to missing parts from shipments. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau calling for an end to the protests. Right now, people in Windsor are suffering and losing their jobs because they can't get auto parts across the Ambassador Bridge. Yeah, you see? See? Now you can really see how much of an impact a truck protest can have. You just park a bunch of them on a bridge, just a key bridge, boom! International trade slows to a trickle, which I didn't even know could still happen, by the way. You know, because that almost sounds like a story from medieval times. You know, when the army would block one mountain pass and then your entire village would starve. And then you'd have to eat your horse and then your dog and then eventually you'd be forced to eat your own children. And then right as you finish eating your last child, the siege would end and you have to spend the rest of your life in therapy. I just feel really bad for eating my own children. Look, you can't blame yourself. That path was closed for almost two days. Like, think about it, think about it. If these were just regular protesters on foot, the cops would have cleared them out by now. But to move a truck, you need someone who can drive a truck, which isn't as easy as it sounds. It takes months of training to be able to sit in the driver's seat of a truck and not just honk the horn the whole time. It's extremely tempting. So now these truckers are finding a lot of support, not just from Canadians, but from Republicans in the United States. Yeah, Rand Paul, Donald Trump, everyone on Fox News are coming out in support of these truckers, which I do find kind of funny because all of these people who are cheering on the truckers are like, yeah, shut it all down, truckers, bring the economy to its knees. Aren't those the same people who said we shouldn't have any COVID restrictions because the last thing we wanted to do is bring an economy down to its knees? I mean, so basically what, it's, it's, it's not worth hurting the economy just to save countless lives, but it is to make a point. Then if you're just making a point, then it's like, yeah, go for it, buddy, you got it. But regardless, these Republicans are now calling for the trucker movement to come to America. And uh, it looks like they might soon get their wish. Ottawa's so-called freedom convoy spawning similar anti-vax mandate protests in cities around the world. 
In Australia, protesters assembled outside the Capitol building, many waving Australian flags and signs asking for freedom. In New Zealand, protesters camped outside Parliament for a second day. And in France, hundreds of protesters in Nice headed for Paris, waving Canadian flags. The Department of Homeland Security is telling law enforcement authorities it's receiving reports that a similar kind of convoy could soon begin in the U.S. The department has, quote, received reports of truck drivers planning to potentially block roads in major metropolitan cities in the United States. The protest could begin as soon as Sunday in Los Angeles to disrupt the Super Bowl and then travel across the country to disrupt President Biden's State of the Union in D.C. on March 1st. Whoa. These guys want to disrupt the Super Bowl. I don't know, man. That seems like a terrible strategy. I mean, think about it. You'd be ruining one of the last things that everyone in America loves. Everyone. You're gonna block the Super Bowl? What's your follow-up? Driving over Dolly Parton? And honestly, I don't know how disrupting Super Bowl traffic is even gonna work. Right? If you're in Los Angeles on Super Bowl Sunday, you're the one who's gonna be stuck in the traffic. Come on, move it! I gotta get to the traffic disruption! Come on! And not to mention, disrupting the State of the Union could also backfire on these truckers. Yeah, they're gonna come there and then what, honk their horns? You realize all those horns are just gonna help Biden stay awake. State of the State of the Union. Oh, I'm strong. State of the Union strong. Come on, Jack, it's so strong, super strong, man. So yeah, these trucker protests from Canada might be coming to America. And if that's the case, we gotta prepare ourselves because a lot of things that are big in Canada, they blow up much more when they come to America. You know, Drake, Justin Bieber, those cool weed posters that they got up there. But I will say this, the funny thing about the whole protest is that when it comes to coronavirus restrictions in America, what are they gonna be protesting? There's not a whole lot left, right? I mean, coronavirus isn't over, but everyone has already started to act like it is. Businesses are open, schools are in session, and even the bluest states are getting rid of mask mandates. So I guess what I'm saying is, congratulations, truck drivers, you did it. So I guess now there's no need to block the Super Bowl, please. Unless the Rams start winning, then you block that shit. I bet my house on the Bengals, man. Block everything. You drive on the field, you just block them. All right, when we come back, Roy Wood Jr. and Ronnie Chang are gonna catch us up on all the sports news. And Questlove is still joining us on the show. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. Let's turn to some big news from the world of sports. The NBA trade deadline was today, and it ended with a flurry of blockbuster deals. And I gotta say, man, I love the NBA trade deadline because it just goes to show that everyone, even the people who run sports teams, wait until the last minute to do anything. Oh shit, the deadline is today? Ah, trade him, Uh, get him, we'll give you that guy, here's James Harden, just give me anything, give me anything for him. Yeah, I'll take your jacket, I'll take it. But there's so much more sports out there. And for the rest of it, we turn to Ronnie Chang and Roy Wood Jr. for another episode of I Apologize for Talking While You Were Talking. What's up, sports nuts? I'm Roy Chang. That's Roy Wood Jr. Roy, are you ready to talk about sports? Dude, we're standing on fake grass. Of course I am. Let's do it. Great. Let's start with the Winter Olympics. I thought you meant real sports, like basketball or wordle. Didn't know. <sighs> what? Was... Come on. The Winter Olympics have all kinds of great sports, like uh, like skiing and uh, cross-country skiing and alpine skiing and snow skiing and uh, ski snowing and uh, ski lift riding. Stop, 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 this is a hate crime. No, no, Roy, that's not a hate crime. What is a hate crime is what China did in the opening ceremony. I mean, just take a look at this. 
The Winter Olympics now in full swing after the ceremonial start of the Games. Team USA walking in the parade of nations. But a controversial ending to the ceremony, China choosing a Uyghur athlete as one of the torchbearers to light the final Olympic flame. The host country has been condemned for its treatment of the Muslim ethnic minority in Xinjiang, leading the U.S. and other nations to hold a diplomatic boycott of the Games. Damn, trotting out the Uyghurs like that. Do you have any idea the size of the balls that takes? The Great Wall ain't the only thing you can see from space, Ronnie. Mm. I don't even get what the message was supposed to be here. China's like, it's all cool. See, we let them hold fire. See, see, this is the problem. See, this is why the Olympics host country should be a global superpower that's not mixed up in all the allegations of human rights mm. abuses. Mm. Yes, like exactly. A good country, you know? Exactly, like, like, uh, like, like, uh, one. Um, what's the one? No, uh, not them. What? No, they just uh, got no war. Uh, you know what? Let's move on. Let's let's just move on. Okay. We'll, we'll 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 come up with one. We'll come up with one because there's still a pandemic going on. That's yeah. right. China's COVID crackdowns are turning the games into a different kind of spectacle. Everyone who touches down in Beijing for the Winter Games is greeted by a hazmat suit wearing welcoming committee like this one. They help you navigate various checkpoints and not one, but two COVID tests. When an athlete or reporter tests positive, they're ordered to put on a full hazmat suit and taken away by ambulance to a COVID isolation hotel 45 minutes away. And the food, some say, is inedible. One Russian athlete says she was given this tray of food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for five days. My stomach hurts and I have huge black circles around my eyes. I cry every day. That's what they're feeding Olympians? How did a chef even go about preparing that? Eating food and then throwing it up again? No, man, it's got all the major food groups. Unsalted potatoes, weird meat, red liquid. I say bon appetit. What I can't believe is that they're making them wear hazmat suits just for COVID. Those should be reserved for more dangerous situations like, like, like handling flesh-eating bacteria or, or using a bathroom on a bus. I totally disagree with you, Roy. That's such an American perspective. When the rest of the world gets COVID, they quarantine. When Americans catch COVID, they go to Applebee. Hey, hey, hey. Badmouth America all you want, but what you're not gonna do is disrespect Applebee's, all right? They got milkshake egg rolls, bro. They are so delicious and decadent. Whatever. Well, enough about the Olympics. Let's talk about the Olympics of a sport that only America plays. The Super Bowl. That's what I'm talking about, Ronnie. Finally, we're talking about football. Cincinnati Bengals, LA Rams on Sunday, and I'm already on layer 83 of my famous 1,400-layer bean dip. Mm -mm -mm. I call it the iceberg melter. What does that mean? Because it causes so much farting, it messes with the global warming and stuff. Out your, okay, out your ass. Okay, that is disgusting. You know? While you're gambling with your digestive system, Americans will be doing a different kind of gambling. The gambling kind. Millions, literally, of Americans are expected to place a wager of some type on the Super Bowl. And they'll bet an eye-popping $7.6 billion, up 78% from last year. That dramatic rise attributed largely to broader access. Well, since last year, 10 states have launched legal sports betting, meaning 45 million more Americans can wager in their home state than last year. $7.6 billion on Super Bowl gambling? That could buy you a lot of NFTs. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just a few NFTs. I still don't know what NFTs are. Here's my thing. 
the second they legalized gambling, it was everywhere. Day one, day one, everywhere, gambling. The websites were ready, the ads were on my timeline, so why does every other law take years to kick in? Joe Biden, put DraftKings in charge of your infrastructure bill. By March, everybody gonna have their own bridge. But you know, Roy, the Super Bowl isn't all about gambling and voting. I disagree, but go on. It's also about having the worst Monday of the year, unless you live in Ohio. Cincinnati Public Schools are giving students the day off after the big game. The school district tweeted in honor of the Bengals' first Super Bowl appearance since 1988. CPS will not have school on Monday, February 14th. They say it's so everyone can, quote, celebrate what we believe will be our city's first Super Bowl victory. You should just make it a national holiday. I love this. And as someone who grew up in Cincinnati, I will also be taking next Monday off. You're not from Cincinnati. Yeah, I am. Name one thing Cincinnati's famous for. Uh, nothing. Okay. Fuck you, guess. But seriously, this is bullshit. What is this teaching the children of Ohio? You're not supposed to get off the day after the Super Bowl. You're supposed to pretend you have the flu the day after the Super Bowl. By the way, Roy, do you want to come over to my place to watch the Super Bowl? I can't, dog. I got COVID. What? Like right now? Of course, yes. Right now, I have COVID. Well, then what are we doing here in the studio? We should be going to Applebee's. My man, that's what I'm talking about. Let's do it. Back to you, Trevor. Milkshake egg rolls. Trust me, you're going to love them. I'm going to try that shit today. Thank you so much for that, guys. All right, when we come back, the one and only Questlove will be joining us right here in the studio to talk about his Oscar-nominated film. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is the legendary drummer and co-founder of The Roots, Amir Questlove Thompson. He's here to talk about his award-winning documentary, Summer of Soul, which was just nominated for an Oscar. Oh man, now I wanna watch it again. Thank you. You know, now I wanna, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you How you doing, sir, how have you been? This is great, I love this. There there are a few people I know who, who have had more jobs than you and excel at more jobs than you. I know many people who have had more jobs than you, but for a bad reason. I don't know many people who have had as many jobs as you have and just done well at them. I was one of those people, though, because at one point I thought there was honor in sort of matching James Brown in the hardest working man in show business. Um, once I stopped doing everything, then a whole new world of magic opened that I never knew of. Uh-huh. And one of them is what I call storytelling or directing, which this definitely wasn't on my, my, uh, my bingo card back in 2005. But if you look at it, everything I've done to this point is preparing for this moment, this point. Because I mean, those 40 hours could go, the 40 hours of the footage that sat in the basement for five decades. Yeah, I still don't, wait, wait, let's let's just talk about that. I still don't understand this because nobody has seen all of these performances. Nobody has seen these moments. Nobody has seen what happened in Harlem in 69. I need to start with that. So how did you even begin to find 40 hours of footage of, it would be like, it would be like somebody now finding, hey, I found a, a, a concert with Jay-Z and Beyonce and like Michael Jackson and like, just like everyone. Right. And I, it was in a basement somewhere. I directed somewhere. this film and I refuse to believe it. I get word backstage at The Tonight Show that these two gentlemen wanna talk to me about these uh, so-called Black Woodstock. And I was like, Black Woodstock? And well, I'm thinking of Woodstock and you're saying there was a black version of that? And then I was like, well, wait a minute. I'd, I'd like to think that I was a music expert or knew things. Yeah. Like, how come I didn't know that over 300,000 people gathered in Harlem 
for a collective six-weekend affair with Stevie Wonder, Stevie Wonders, Last Stone, B.B. King, Mavis Staples. Like, how come I didn't know about this? And, you know, I was like, call another B. You heard of Black Woodstock and dinner? No, I never heard of it. And so... I don't understand how that's possible. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that it happened. So the very first meeting, I just thought that these two were trying to just scam me for, like, Tonight Show tickets <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> that's what I thought it was. And then they came by the next week with a hard drive. And even then, I was like, well, the footage must be bad, or maybe Stevie had an off day. or Right, right, right. And everything I saw was magic. And... To this day, that the reason why, even when I agreed to do this, mm-hmm. at first I was just going to compile like 17 songs. Yes. Wow, like right. a, a mixtape, you know, that sort of thing. But the curiosity kept burning me inside that like, it, the question I ask is, is, is Black Erasure this easy? And that's the thing. I think oftentimes when, you know, when we speak of like Black Lives Matter or... Um, you know, is that racist or not racist? I think people think of the most extreme definition of it. Like, in their minds, they're saying, well, I've never once hung somebody to a cross or castrated them right, or right, set right. them on mm-hmm. fire, so I'm not racist. But there's other, there's benign levels of racism as well. And even as sort of the, 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 sort of the dismissal of like, well, we'll pass. You know, we're good. For a lot of people, their first view of us was either in blackface or mired in trouble or controversy or, you know, getting arrested, getting mm-hmm. hosed down. Mm-hmm. And, but black joy is the component that shows that we're human, you know? And this could have been that moment had it allowed been, you know, the spotlight that Woodstock had, had gotten. It was also a crucial time as well, you know, it's the summer of 69. So many things were happening in America. Right. You know, a lot was changing in the country. And I remember watching this, I, I had never seen it. I had never seen something like this. To your point, a lot of what you see from that time period is a, is a very one-dimensional view of black America. Mm-hmm. So it seems like black America has only existed in strife for a long time. Exactly. You know? and, ex- and, and only strife, I should mention. And then you watch this and you're like, man, this, this is, I, I couldn't believe the scale. I couldn't believe the party people were having. I, could, I, were having, I couldn't believe like who was there and how they were there, who was performing and, and what it signified. When you, when you told that story, what do you think the significance of this event was? The, the significance of the event at least what I got from it was that this was a community trying to heal. And so for me, shall I say, a really beautiful uh, gander into the, the infinite possibilities of what a future is. You're seeing Stevie Wonder a mere two years before his, his genius period. You're seeing Nina Simone give one of her very first non-jazz, non-love song, non-Broadway musical performances, Mm -hmm. like Nina Simone stepping into her activism shoes in real time. So you're seeing all these artists, but really you're also just watching the people. And that's the thing, like when I say like we were robbed of that, not just as black people, but the world to see, you know, oh, family's just like mine. Being just like mine. Happiness just like, and and that's sort of the, that's sort of the, 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 the missing fiber element in telling our stories from the civil rights period right, that people right, don't right. know. You look at America's story over and over, it's such a giant country, you know, where 
if people don't have an interaction with the people on the ground, you don't know a black person, you don't meet a Hispanic person, you don't know, do you get what I'm saying? Right, you yeah, can get just knowing someone at your job doesn't make right, you... Right. you right. And it, maybe you don't even. That's what I loved about this documentary, I think it's to, to what you're saying, is it showed a, a joy, it showed a normality, it showed a... There's just a human element that I, I didn't even know I was looking for, like, because I didn't know that this was gonna invoke some sort of emotion out of, of Merlin McCoo as mm-hmm. she's watching herself. I'm mm-hmm. thinking like, you hosted Solid Gold. Like, right. how do you remember this very specific show back then? But you know, when she started to really open up about code switching yes. and you know, something that every black person relates to on the professional job. And even I needed to see that, like, wow, even when you're the number one singing group in the world, like you still have to code switch and you still have to always be on guard and you're never comfortable. and. You know, you have longings for just love from your people. Right. Yeah. Just, you just want to be accepted. I, I, I won't lie. I think, I think you deserve every award that this film has won and is going to win because... It's, Thank you. You know, you know what it is, man? It's, it's, the, it's telling a story from history that is lost. Mm-hmm. It's sharing a joy from history that is, that is lost. And I think it's something that people need today where you go like, hey, you, you know, yeah, we can fight. Here we can argue. Here we can, we can, we can deal with what we need to deal with. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, don't forget joy because that's what makes us human. So thank you, man. Thank you for being here. Well, thank, thank you, you for, for the documentary. Me. Thank you. Uh, I'm, now I'm going to watch it again. I watched the clip and now... I'm back let's, in. Let's go watch right let's, now. Let's do it right now. Break. Let's do it right now. All right. Some of Soul is currently streaming on Hulu and Disney Plus, and it will make its broadcast television debut February 20th on ABC. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please consider supporting Young, Black, and Lit. They're an organization that sources and distributes new books featuring black main characters to elementary and middle schools at no cost. So if you want to support them in their work promoting access to children's books that reflect children's experiences who are black, then please donate at the link below. Until next time, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, don't flush your sensitive documents down the toilets. First, eat them, digest them, then flush them down. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 